Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here and if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
And good morning to you on this December the 13th, uh, 2021. It is good to be worshiping with you again. Uh, I know we're doing it online uh, through the month of January. And our deacons, as a matter of fact, are going to be meeting after the worship service. And they're going to be talking about what our uh, plan of action needs to be for February. And so when uh, they decide that and they uh, let me know what their decision is, we'll pass that along on social media, social media. Uh, and uh, put it in the newsletter so you'll know uh, how to plan for uh, February. But we do want to be in prayer for uh, our community hospitals. I was talking uh, to a pastor friend, and they were telling me about a, a couple that had been in an accident, and uh, the, the wife uh, needed to be admitted, and they couldn't take her in Jackson. They couldn't take her in Memphis, and she ended up having to go all the way to to Vanderbilt there in Nashville just to uh, get a hospital that would actually admit her because of the space in the room that they had. And speaking of hospitals, uh, we want to remember Mr. Harold and Miss Linda Robbins. Uh, they uh, contracted COVID and I got a chance to see them last Sunday and pray with them. Of course, I'd already had it, so I was able to, 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 to go minister to them. Uh, and then I know they were to have an infusion on Thursday. And I got a text from her son David uh, yesterday and then again this morning. Uh, Harold and Linda had to go uh, to the hospital. Uh, I think Miss Linda may have gone Thursday and then Harold was admitted on Friday. Now Miss Linda is I think on 50% oxygen. Uh, she's got pneumonia in one lung um, and that was the report that I had yesterday. The doctor had come in this morning and David said that the doctor said there hadn't been much change, but the good news is there hadn't been any worsening of her condition. She had hoped to be a little bit better, but uh, the good news is she's not any worse. So continue to pray for Linda and Harold. Uh, Mr. Harold, of course, is just real, real weak and uh, just uh, his general health wasn't good going into uh, catching COVID and now that he's got it, uh, you know, there's that worry. So. Harold and Linda Robbins, keep them in your prayers. Uh, deacons, you do have a meeting after the worship service, so uh, guys, I know you're going to be making your way up to church this afternoon to do that uh, and appreciate that. Update on our Lottie Moon. Uh, as of this morning, what I know is we got $6,175. Our goal is $15,000. We're going to continue to take that up through January, probably on into February. Uh, so that uh, we could get our goal reached. But uh, I know that uh, you're praying and you're giving, and we appreciate that. And this morning, we do have a video uh, that uh, I think this is from the uh, International Mission Board uh, director, uh, president, and it's a kind of a, a update uh, is what it's called. So let's, let's, let's hear a word from him. On behalf of the International Mission Board, I want to thank you, Southern Baptists, for 175 years of working together to get the gospel to the nations. Thank you for providing for nearly 3,700 IMB missionaries through your cooperative program and Lottie Moon Christmas offering gifts. Your faithful financial support and unwavering prayer support are the lifelines for Southern Baptist International Missions. Throughout our 175-year history, Southern Baptists have maintained an uninterrupted witness among the nations. In spite of famines, wars, civil unrest, and even as we have experienced this year, pandemics. This commitment has not come without sacrifice by your missionaries, and their continued witness cannot continue without your sacrificial support. 
Last year, Southern Baptist gave over $157 million to support international missionaries in the third highest Lottie Moon offering ever received. IMB also received just over $99 million through the cooperative program, and that's the third consecutive year that CP giving top $99 million for IMB receipts. In recent weeks, we've heard new reports of how your Southern Baptist missionaries continue to be a part of God's work on the international mission field, where more than half a million people heard a gospel witness last year, resulting in nearly 90,000 new believers. In Central Asia, IMB teams created gospel witness videos for 99 different languages that were shown through social media. Production has begun on gospel videos for the last 11 languages of Central Asia which have no Bible tools of any kind. Believing Southeast Asians have set up a studio for scripture translation and the local deaf church is working with IMB colleagues to evangelize, plant churches, and work on Bible translations with other new believers and complete Bible stories in all the neighboring countries of Southeast Asia. In North Africa and the Middle East, evangelism has happened in clinics, gyms, living rooms, coffee shops, barber shops, parks, and classrooms. All places where your Christian workers normally interact with people in their communities on a daily basis. In South Asia, small congregations dedicated 30 minutes a day for 30 days to talk to people intentionally about Jesus. Over the course of one month, these faithful individuals shared with more than 7,000 people. The Lord has worked mightily among an animus people group in the mountains of East Asia. The church has grown and there are hundreds of believers among this group in a remote village. Now the church is working to send out missionaries to reach other unreached groups with the gospel. Has everyone heard? No, everyone has not yet heard. We know that every second, two people die without knowing Christ. We know that 25% of spoken languages do not have scripture to share the gospel in their heart languages. And that is why Southern Baptist, your IMB is still sending your missionaries. And these faithful workers are still sharing the gospel wherever the Lord places them. Uh, whether in a temporary location due to COVID-19 or through new digital channels during a lockdown. Praise God, the gospel is advancing. And you're a part of this eternal work through your giving, you're praying, you're sending, and you're going. Every church, regardless of its size or resources, has a part to play in reaching every nation with the gospel. And the nations are waiting. Thank you for doing your part. good to have you back now we're in january. on behalf of the international and, mission uh, we're moving forward in uh, the uh, lottie moon giving january through february we'll continue to give y'all didn't catch it i had the opening announcement i think i said december the 13th uh brother brian didn't change it on the bulletin <laughs> let's have a word of prayer as we uh, start our worship together father we thank you this morning for uh loving us and taking care of us and just watching us uh, through this last year it's, it has been a hard year and lord we look forward to this year to come and things improving lord we mentioned earlier harold and linda robbins we pray especially uh this morning for them they mean so very much to our our church uh, they're such a, a long-standing part of our family of god here lord and we know that their health is uh, not where uh, it needs to be and they're getting the best medical care that uh, that our professionals can provide but lord we know 
ultimately we are in your hands and we just pray for healing and recovery and for them to get home and to uh, feeling better lord we do pray for all of our missionaries uh, as your work is being done around our world this is a tough age and day to to serve but lord as our report was given this morning from brother paul there is such a great work that's being done and christians and, and baptists in particular are giving and doing and, and answering the call for missions around the world. And Lord, we just pray that as a church we can do our part, meet our goal, and Lord, just continue to keep a heart that loves lost people and, and wanting people to come to you, Jesus. Be with us as we worship together. We pray blessings upon the offering that's come in through the week and continues to come in. And Lord, just uh, to use it to the kingdom's glory and to your glory. And Lord, just... Uh, Guide us and lead us in all of our thoughts and worship today. In your name, Jesus, amen.
aren't you glad that nothing compares to the promises that we have in God and that he, we get amazing grace through him? I know Brother Chris was, was joking around, you know, we messed up the bulletin. Uh, we're, we're good about throwing each other under the bus, but aren't you glad that, that God's grace is good enough for everything to it's sufficient in all things? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was Aren't you glad he's forever ours?
our God. Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Amen. As Christians, we should be able to look back on our lives and see those places where God has, has met us, where God has changed us, where God has stepped into our story. And the, throughout history, every Christian's, their, their landmarks or those, those spots are different for everybody. So I, I hope that as a Christian, you can find those spots that, that's evidence that God is working in your life. All throughout my history, Your faithfulness has walked beside me The winter storms made way for spring In every season from where I'm standing I see the evidence of your goodness All over my life All over my life Oh. 
Father God, we thank you that uh, the evidence is clear. It's, the evidence is endless that you are always there. You have been there from the beginning. You will be there in the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. And your word tells us there is no one that has an excuse because the heavens themselves have declared your glory, your presence, your, your omniscience. You're always there, Lord. We just thank you for that promise that we have and that uh, I pray that as Christians, we would have evidence in our lives that you have changed us and that we are your children, Lord. We love you today, and we ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Take your Bible this morning with, uh, and open up with us to Ezekiel chapter 28. And we're in our series, our winter sermon series, The Ancient Foe, Understanding Our Ancient Foe, Satan, the Devil, Old Lucifer. Last week we asked the question, well, who is he? And we looked at what God has to say in his word about who he is and what that means in our life. Now this morning, I want us to think about this subject together, the war in heaven. We're going to look at a lot of things we're going to talk about how Satan worked in the garden and temptation, how Satan sifted Peter later on. We're going to uh, try to answer all the questions about Satan that we can because our, our goal is to understand our enemy. We said if we don't really understand our enemy, we really can't understand the fullness of our God and what God is wanting to do in this world. And not only can we not understand the fullness of our God, we can't understand the fullness of our own life. Because we are in this battle, whether we want to be or not, we're all uh, on one team or the other. And as Christians, as born-again people, we are on the, the side of God. We are on the winning team, of course. But uh, we will have to do battle with Satan and uh, his uh, compatriots, uh, those demons, uh, the forces of hell itself. And one of the things that often I get asked about is, you know, uh, what happened in heaven when Satan became Satan, when Lucifer became Satan and there was this war? And I want us to spend time thinking about the war in heaven. And let me also say this, because I didn't really think about it until I got into the, the sermon this week working on it, but there are two wars that actually take place in heaven that are recorded for us in the Bible. Now, the first war, that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that's the war that took place sometime before Eve ate of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, the one that God said don't eat of her and Adam. It's not until that moment of Eve's temptation that Satan sort of comes on the scene uh, as far as this uh, actor in this great uh, tragic drama that's being played out uh, in the will and, and in the purpose of God. So we know that sometime before that moment, there had to be what the Bible tells us in other places, and what we're going to read about, for example, in Ezekiel today, uh, where Satan fell, where Lucifer fell, and there was this war, and he was cast down. And the Bible tells us also that a third of the angels went with him. Now you read later on, and I didn't look it up specifically, but I think it is in Revelation uh, it, it, it may be chapter 20, uh, or it may be in chapter 12, uh, but there's another war. Yeah, it's, I think it's in chapter 12 here. But uh, 
that's a war that takes place in heaven. And in that war, that comes at the end, of course, of human history as God is bringing forth his final act of judgment upon this world. And it's a battle that takes place between Michael the archangel and Satan. So don't get those two confused because sometimes I think that happens. We, what we've read in Revelation we kind of think as an uh, event that took place way back uh, in uh, history before Adam and Eve maybe and we kind of get those two confused. No, there are two wars so just kind of keep those uh, separated. And we're going to look at this first one this morning together. So let's begin reading Ezekiel 28 and verse 11. Let's read through verse 19. We read some of this last week, but we're going to look at the fuller uh, lamentation of Ezekiel today uh, over this matter. Now, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says the prophet, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre. Now, lamentation is simply uh, raise up a sermon, a heartfelt cry against what's going on as it revolves around the king of Tyre and say to him, and now the Lord spells out exactly what he wants to be said uh, uh, by Ezekiel. He said, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. And on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were in the holy mountain of God, and in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in all your ways from the day that you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. All right, so just underscore that, that verse there. there. This is the place where the war takes place, that first war. And in abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sin. Again, you can see the war is transpiring here. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. It's a very quick war. It doesn't last very long. Satan's defeated, and he's thrown out of heaven. And then we're told again what's going on and why all this happened. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And by the multitudes of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst to consume you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you, and all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever." ABC News, dated December the 8th, 2009, had ran this report. A Nebraska businessman by the name of Terrence Wannabe, he had, by the way, he had inherited and also sold his business that he had inherited, Oriental Trader. I don't know if you've ever ordered anything from Oriental Trader. If you've been in Bible school, I'm certain you have, uh, teachers and all. Uh, but anyway, 
he sold his business for $825 million. Now, in his life, he uh, had a gambling problem. For example, one year he lost nearly $127 million uh, in a year-long gambling uh, phase of his life to uh, a Las Vegas uh, casino that he'd gone on a binge. And uh, he later accused uh, two Las Vegas casinos of plying him with generous amounts of alcohol and prescription drugs to keep the cash flowing. Now, Terrence Wannabe said that he bet more than $825 million and lost nearly $127 of it in one particular year. And his lawyer, who was trying to sue on his behalf, said it's a tragedy uh, just above any kind of thought and reason that Mr. Wannabe did this and lost all that he had. Since then, he's been charged with four felony counts for refusing to, to pay $14 million owed, and he was facing 28 years in prison if convicted. And here is this well-known businessman, a philanthropist, uh, is said that he was credited for giving Harrah's Entertainment uh, Casino, the parent company uh, of those casinos, 5.6% of its total gambling uh, revenue in that one year alone. What a tragic story. Here's a man that according to Google and according to the research, is the biggest gambling loser of all time. He lost the $825 million fortune he had, and not only that, he owes an extra $14 million in unpaid gambling debt. But as tragic as Mr. Wannabe's story is, it fails, I want to say to you this morning, in comparison to the sad story of Lucifer, who we call Satan. Ezekiel says in verses 15 and 16, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. And in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. And so I cast you as a profane thing out of heaven. Here we have in our discussion this morning, first a realm that we have to say is around beyond our understanding. And here we have the most glorious creature that's ever been created by God. And he chose to take a great cosmic gamble and it backfired on him. Instead of winning, he would set in motion a series of dominoes that would trip over. And think about it, those dominoes are still reverberating today. And we are told that they will actually reverberate throughout all eternity. For there will be those who will be lost and die and live forever without God. And there are those that will know God and receive Christ and live forever with God. We're going to talk about, too, uh, his end, not today, but later on, and how we'll look upon him in eternity to come. You could really say that this was the father of all gambles. It was the opening gambit of what has really if you want to look at it, a tragic dramedy, a, a tragic drama that's been played out. And so what we find here is that even though this drama, this tragic drama is being played out, God has a very real divine purpose at play. And uh, I think that becomes more evident as we study this, as we go through this. Now, when you come to Ezekiel 28, you, you 
recall we were talking that Ezekiel was to take up a lamentation against the king of Tyre. Now let me just say, there was an old ancient king, a king of Tyre, who was a wicked king. He was the political ruler of his day. God says to preach to him, to take up a lamentation against him. And as Ezekiel begins to do this, he begins to look through that throne, through that individual, and begins to focus on the real power behind the throne. And I believe this is extremely important for us this morning. If you want to understand what's going on in our world today, if you want to understand what's going on in America today, you need to understand that the real power that's at work today in this world is not the power of man, of lost men and women. It is the power of Satan that is at work behind lost men and women that are doing much of the things in our world today that are really things that are satanic and evil in their purpose. And if we're going to understand what God is doing and how God counters those things, we need to understand the power behind the thrones. And Satan's very much alive in our world today. So if you want to look at Wall Street or the White House or whatever, you can just then begin to understand that the real power and the influence of our world is Satan. And he has the same goal today that he had back when Ezekiel brought this lamentation and that was to bring destruction upon this world, to bring destruction upon man, uh, mankind and, and upon man himself. So if there is a will of God, if there is a work of God, if there is a witness unto God, then you and I need to understand that Satan is there doing his best to stop it, to kill it. Now, there are many times in the Word of God that, that God addresses Satan but he addresses him through some other agent. For example, in the Garden of Eden, God speaks to Satan, but he's a serpent, right? Or think about this, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus spoke to Satan. But when Jesus spoke to Satan on, on one occasion, he was speaking to who? Peter. But he looked at Peter and he said, the one speaking through you right now is not you, Peter, but Satan. And Jesus said, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. Well, here Ezekiel is speaking to the power that is uh, uh, behind the throne, the king of Tyre, and he is speaking to Satan. I want you to see five things today real quickly about how God and Satan have this initial war, this early war, and particularly I want us to think about Satan's role in this. And I want, here's the five things I want us to think about the creature that he was, number two, the duties that he performed, the gamble he took, why he did it, and finally, why he failed. So let's think about that first one for just a moment. The creature that Satan was. Now, a lot of times I get asked this question, Brother Chris, why did God create the devil? Well, let me just say to you that God did not create the devil. God did not create the devil, but God did create an angel, an angel who was called Lucifer. And Lucifer did sin against God, did rebel against God. And in that moment, Lucifer became Satan and Lucifer became the devil. 
So in one sense, God created him. But when God created him, verse 15 tells us, God created him in absolute perfection. He was the guardian cherub over the worship of God. Listen to verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till something happens, till a moment happens, unrighteousness was found in you. So many people want to know, where did the devil come from? A lot of times people say, Brother Chris, do you really believe in the devil? And if you do, why would God create him or why would God continue to let him live? Well, God didn't create the devil. He created a perfect being. And this, this angel was perfect in beauty, surpassing beauty and wisdom. Uh, the only one who could top the beauty and the wisdom of Lucifer himself was God. I mean, there was no higher to go than God himself. After God, if you wanted to look to beauty and wisdom, you would have had to seen Lucifer. Did you know that he was also a musical being? The, uh, the Bible tells us here in its word that, that he, he, in his wings there were these beautiful pipes that played music as he would, swing, uh, would, would, would fly. I mean, he, he literally was like a pipe organ that played beautiful music of praise unto God. He was a masterpiece of creation. He was a showpiece of creation that, that spoke to the glory of God himself. And so there was a day in which he was perfect. And then in that day, there was a day and a moment in which he was no longer perfect, but totally corrupt. Uh, so that's, that's who he was. That's the creature that he was. Well, think about a second thing the duties that he performed. Now, Lucifer, in those glorious days, enjoyed perfect tranquility and perfect relationship and perfect communion with God himself. Listen to verse 14, uh, what uh, Ezekiel says. You were the anointed cherub. I placed you. You were in the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Now, he says you were the anointed cherub. I think, as best that I can tell, that this speaks to the priestly function that was given to his position. Uh, he was in charge of the worship of God. And whether it would come from man or whether it would come from other creatures or other beings that God had created, it all had to pass through his hands. He would be the one that would kind of package it up, ball it up, Present it then to God our Father. He was the worship leader. In verse 18, it speaks of his sanctuaries. And I think that again speaks to how he handled praise. I would say, too, there's a warning here for those that are involved in praise and worship with God. I'd say to our praise team, and I would say to any praise and worship leader, uh, any preacher, that you have to be very careful in handling the worship and the praise of God. Because you see, what happens? You know, a lot of times, I've said this, I even had a Christian years ago argue with me. Uh, I said, if you want, to, you want to compliment me on a message, if I preach a message and, and it blesses your heart and I bring you uh, 
a, a message and that, that affects your life and your heart, what you can best say to any preacher is, preacher, God spoke to me today through you. Don't say, preacher, that was a good sermon. Preacher, that was awesome. Or preacher, that was wonderful. Because what it does is it tempts me to do what Satan did, and that's to hold back a little of the glory that should be passed on to God and given to him alone. And it, 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 you know, it, it tempts me to get a little puffed up and say, well, you know, I did do a good job. <laughs> I, I did do all right. Uh, you know, man, several people told me today that was good. And I go out feeling rather good about myself. But you see, that's not what my job is, is it? It's not what our worship leaders and worship team's job is. Our job is to pass on any glory to God himself because it's his. If there was something that touched your heart, there was something that touched your mind or touched your life that changed your, first of all, that's the Holy Spirit speaking. And I can only I can only say, God, thank you for letting me be the vessel by which you would choose to speak. And when I think about who I am, and I know my, my heart, I know my mind better than you do, I can tell you I'm, a, I'm nowhere near a perfect uh, being. I, I have so much imperfection. Uh, I have so much uh, that I struggle with in my own life. Uh, to think that God would even allow me to be just a part of his great work is a humbling thing. So that's why I say, don't be careful when you give uh, people that lead in worship uh, compliments. Don't tempt them. Just tell them that God spoke through them and that that helps them handle the praise. But that's what, that's what Satan was doing. He was handling the praise of God and he got to holding some of that back. Now think not only about his beauty and, and his calling and his position. Think about his, in, his environment. I was looking at this line, the stones of fire that you walked in. And I wasn't really sure about what that was. And, and, and I was, at first I was thinking maybe he's talking about the, 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 the judgment of God or the holiness of God. But that's really not it. As a matter of fact, according to most scholars, the best guess there is that this speaks to the radiance or the bright shining uh, glory that is there in heaven and its habitation. In other words... Lucifer was given a very privileged environment. I mean, I, I said it last week, I'll say it again today. Think about it. He was in the presence of God. I mean, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, enjoyed the presence of God in the garden. And, and you remember God would come in the cool of the day uh, and walk, and they would walk and talk with God. You know, it had to be a beautiful thing. But even then, God was a spirit. Even then, God was a great mystery. Even then, they couldn't see the fullness of God's glory. But Lucifer, listen, he looked upon the fullness of God's glory. He was in the, uh, the, the presence of holy God. He was created to be so and do so. I think these stones of fire speak to that. Every creature in creation hopes to achieve and live for their purpose in which they've been created. Lucifer actually had it all. Everything logically he could ask for, everything logically he could want, everything that would make him be the person he was created to be, he was given. So the question comes then, why did he sin? Why did he rebel? 
So that brings us to the third point, and that's this, the gamble he took. Look in verse 15. You were blameless in the way from which uh, you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Underscore unrighteousness found in you. It is a shocking, it is a perplexing statement here. Uh, one of the best comments on this statement I, I read was uh, given by Dr. Rogers. I'll just give you the quote. It's a long quote. It's a good quote. But listen to what Dr. Rogers said about this statement and about Satan's unrighteousness. Satan is brilliantly stupid. He is hideously beautiful. That worth written down. Uh, that's worth writing down. He is brilliantly stupid. He is hideous, hideously beautiful. Now, don't get the idea that because Satan has sinned against God that he's a knucklehead in every area of the word. Now, he is the ultimate knucklehead. I mean to, to think that he could overthrow God? How stupid. But still, he's brilliantly stupid and hideously beautiful. In other words, it just perplexes the mind. I mean, he was the most wise creature ever created, yet his wisdom failed him. He was the most beautiful creature ever created, but yet his beauty failed him. I mean, he was given everything that God could give a person to succeed, and yet he still decided to take the gamble. And the gamble was really the biggest leap ever taken and the gamble was a was a leap he couldn't make you know when you, we talk about a gamble in life that's really what you're talking about can you do it or not i mean for example i might say all right yeah i'm gonna put money on a team over here winning a football game and for example i think if you were to say the kansas city chiefs that's a pretty good odds. I think they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl this year. They won it last year, and they really haven't uh, gone down in strength. That wouldn't be a very big leap, would it, to say that they could win the Super Bowl? You know, that's, that's a leap that probably could be made, and money won. But now, if I were to say, you know what? I think that the little fifth-grade peewee uh, team over here could win the Super Bowl, well, that's, that's a leap too far, isn't it? I mean, suppose for just a moment they were allowed to play in the NFL championship. I mean, there's no way the little fifth grade boys are going to go out there against strong, uh, uh, powerful men, particularly NFL professionals, and be able to compete and win a Super Bowl. That's a leap too far. Nobody's going to put money on that. Satan was making a leap too far. It was a gamble that had no chance of paying off. So the question is, and this brings us to our fourth point, why did he do it? Why he did it? Ezekiel 28, verse 17. God tells us, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom. God said, I gave you perfect wisdom, but you corrupted it. I, I gave you beautiful splendor, but you, 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 you turned it into... Uh, uh, ugliness to a hideousness listen to what isaiah chapter 14 says in verses 13 and 14 and and here isaiah is speaking to to, uh, to what satan was saying in himself as god was relating it to, to isaiah you said in your heart i will ascend to heaven above the stars of god i will set my throne on high i will set 
on the mountain of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. Five times Isaiah says, Satan said, I will, I will, I will, and ultimately I will be like the most high. Why did he do it? Five letter word, pride, pride. Listen, you're never more like the devil than when you allow pride to rule over your life. And you put I first ahead of God. Nothing makes you more like the devil than pride. Lucifer deceived himself into thinking that his rebellion was necessary if he was to really put his interest first. His interest had to come before the interest of God. What, what Lucifer and what Satan failed to grasp was that his personal interest was actually tied to the interest of God. They're always aligned. They're always what's best. What's best for God is what's best for us. And yet, but there are Christians today and there are lost people today that have in their mind that, that their way is actually better. When we cut God out of the picture, do what we want, we feel like sometimes you know, it's what's best for us. But friend, every time we go God's way and what's best for God, it's always what's best for us. And so Lucifer made some bad judgment. And it's the judgments that, that he keeps tempting us with. And it's the judgment that we keep acting upon. We must never think our obedience is best only for God. It's not only best for God, it's best for us as well. When God gives us command to obey, to obey, it's always in our best interest. We are, so, we are never so brilliantly stupid as when we choose not to obey God and seek our own desires. We are never wiser than we, when we surrender to God and when we want to live according to the will of God in our lives. Lucifer, perhaps consumed with jealousy, decided to take those cosmic dice and roll it and take the gamble, I'll do it my way. But listen, in the moment that he rolled the dice, he was doomed to failure. The moment you and I roll the dice and want to do life our way, we're doomed to failure. Satan made a horrible miscalculation. From that moment, the die was cast. There was no turning back. He was all chips in on the center of the po uh, poker table. I'm going to do it my way. He thought his cards were his, that he could only see what he held in his hand. But what Satan didn't understand, that his cards were all face up, and God knew exactly what hand he held. God knew his decision before he even had decided it. Here was a being who knew God, yet didn't believe in God, and didn't believe that God's ways were best. Here was one who was not content with serving, but instead wanted to be served. But you know what Lucifer would, would find out? And this is what every creature of God finds out. We may not want to be, we may not want our decisions controlled by God and think we can do it our way, but guess what? Even when we do it our way, our decisions are still under the, listen, the control of God. Sin always triggers this law, the law of unintended consequences. And so with a simple decision, war was declared, war broke out between God and Satan. 
It really isn't much of a war. And it brings us to the last question, which is this. Why he failed? Verses 17 through 19. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before the kings to feast their eyes upon you. By the multitudes of your iniquity and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profane your sanctuaries, your priestly duties. So I brought, you, I brought fire out from you in the midst to consume you. I turned you to ash on the earth in the sight of all who saw you and who know you among the peoples are appalled at you and you have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Let me give you five truths about why Satan failed. Five reasons. Number one, Satan was limited from the start. No matter how hard he tried, he could never be like God. There are three things that we know about God in particular. One of, one of those things is real big, and that's that word, all. When we talk about God, we talk about God who is what? All-powerful. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and he's all-being. He's omnipresent. Satan could never be all-powerful. He's powerful, no doubt. But he wasn't all-powerful. He couldn't create out of nothing like God. And he can't control everything in power as God does. Never good, never will. Will never be able to. He's not all-knowing. He only can know what he knows and what he can understand. God knows everything. God knows not only what God knows, God knows what we know. And he, he's not like God where he's omnipresent. And by the way... Don't get the idea that, that you know, if, if Satan himself is literally tempting you, then I'll say this, he can't be tempting Brian at that moment. He can't be somewhere else. And the temptation that a lot of that, that we get, the satanic temptation, is, is, is the demons at work, all right? Uh, I'm not so sure Satan is quite as hands-on as we tend to make him out to be. I mean, we all get this idea that Satan is doing all the dirty work to all of us. He's not like God. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. Number two, Satan was limited in what he could foresee. He could only learn from his mistake, just like you and me. He could never full, fully see the, uh, and foresee the full depth of his blunder. I think if he could have seen the fullness of it, I don't think he would have done it. Number three, Satan was limited by damage control like we are. While we're not told he regretted his mistake, I think he did. Once he crossed the line, though, that was, that was it. And once Satan crossed the line, there was no going back, unlike for you and I. You see, we could rebel against God. We could sin against God. And through the grace of God, we still have hope. I heard Dr. Rogers say this years ago, and I said it and believed it, and then I got to study it this week, and, and I, I think I know what Dr. Rogers was talking about when he said it, but I think in closer theological thought, it, it's, it's really not accurate. I heard him say years ago, uh, you know, that if Satan had repented, that, that God in his grace would have forgiven him. Uh, but Dr. Rogers did go on to say 
that was never going to happen. Satan was so fully corrupt by that, uh, by that single event, it wasn't going to happen. But I really don't think that's a true statement. Listen, repentance is a gift given by God and given only to man. In other words, you and I can't have a relationship with God unless God makes a way for you and I to have a relationship with him. And repentance is a gift from God. And when did God give that gift of repentance? In the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, he said, I'm going to make a way, guys. You've messed up. You've blown it. Remember what he told them? In the day that you eat of that, you will surely die. I imagine Adam and Eve were thinking for a moment, this is it, man. This is the day. We die right now. But they didn't die that day, did they? God said, I've got a plan, and it's the plan of repentance. And then, of course, God made that covering. He made that sacrifice, and he covered them in that blood sacrifice, the covering of their sins. Now, that's a forward-looking picture of faith in Jesus. I, they didn't understand Jesus the way you and I understand Jesus today because we've got a clearer picture of it. But they did, in faith, receive the promise of God and repented of their sins. It's a gift given only to man. And number two, no sacrifice was ever provided for Satan or the angels and their sins. In other words, Jesus didn't die for the angels. Jesus didn't die for Satan. They can't sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, because Christ did not die for them. You and I have, listen, the Son of God, we have God himself who died for us. He has made the perfect sacrifice for our sins. So Satan was limited in damage control. Number four, Lucifer and the fallen angels were free to make a mess, but they weren't free to, to, to fix the mess. The law of unintended consequences had now to unwind itself. And what's happening in our world and what is said to happen in the book of Revelation is a law of unintended consequences. These things must play out as God has decreed. And you see, that's, that's the other reason he was doomed to failure. And finally... The fifth reason he failed was this. He thought he knew God, but he didn't. You know, I read where one author, and I think I said it last week, up until this point, Satan only knew, or Lucifer only knew God as a loving, all-loving, gracious, heavenly Father. There had not been a need for God's judgment or God's righteousness or God's wrath to be revealed. He didn't fully know God. He should have. He should have known the holiness of God. He should have been able, the wisdom that he was given to logically think it out. But he didn't really know God. And, and by, by that I would go, why? Why didn't he know God? Well, because his eyes were on himself and not on God. I think Satan was looking at what's not fair for me instead of what's right with God. And when you get your eyes on you and you get them off God, you, you, you're prone to mess up. Now, we close this out. Let me ask this question. Where was God in all of this? Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14. Let me read that for you. 
In him we have uh, obtained an inheritance, speaking of Christ, having been pre uh, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the firstborn to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Where was God? He was working out all things according to his purpose. That's what Paul says there in Ephesians. We might ask why some of the angels sided with Lucifer, and yet others maintained their relationship with God. We find the answer to that in the mystery of God's eternal purposes. The truth is we don't really know. The New Testament speaks of the angels who didn't fall and calls them the elect angels, 1 Timothy 5.21. Evidently, there were some that were preserved uh, from sinning by a decree of God. And other angels who were given the freedom to choose, and they fell volunteer, voluntarily, no doubt. But what we do know about those that didn't fall and those who did fall and Satan's failure, all these things do fulfill the purpose of God. And just remember that the fall and even this war in heaven is just but one of the first scenes that would be played out in this extended great drama, this tragic drama we call life, and all these things would unwind themselves in the fullness of God's purpose. But over and against that backdrop, there's good news. You take, you take that old black cloth and you lay out that beautiful diamond on it and that diamond sparkles. Well, what is the good news? What sparkles? And that's Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our forgiveness. When we give our heart to Christ, we're saved by his blood. Even when we die, there's that hope of resurrection. This week I did a funeral for one of our uh, dearly departed uh, older saints. And there at the, at the graveside, I talked to the family and I said, one day there is the day of resurrection. This old body that's worn out and tired would rise a new body and be in the likeness of Christ. God is going to make a new you. How is God going to make a new you? I don't want you to hear me. If you don't, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. How is God going to make you and I in the resurrection? like Christ. Do you know what that means? God is going to recreate us in a better image, in a better picture than Lucifer was even created in the beginning. We're going to be higher in beauty, in wisdom, in glory than even Lucifer when he was first created of God. Two categories of people in the world today. There are those who are like Satan, who will say to God, not your will be done, but mine. And they are still at war with God and will go into eternity at war with God and be the ultimate loser. Then there are those who have said yes to Jesus and those who have said like Jesus, not my will be done, but yours, Father. We're all born with a drop of Lucifer's rebellion in our heart. We stand today between Satan and God. We must choose a side. To not choose is to choose. You can join the team of losers, Satan and his demons, or you can join the team of champions, Christ and his bride, the church. 
The choice is yours to make. Let me close this morning by saying, you and I don't really need to be all that worried about a war fought in heaven long ago as much as we need to be worried about the war that's being fought right now, perhaps in our own life, between God. This morning, if you're lost and you don't know Christ, you're at war with God. You can look at Satan and say, you know, it didn't work out so well for him. That's not a good road to go down. And give your heart to Christ today and be born again. Perhaps maybe this morning you're a Christian and while you're saved and you've been washed by the blood and you're eternally secure, you're not living for God and in a sense you're helping out the enemy. You're sort of a traitor. You're a rebel. And, and while you may have eternal salvation, don't forget there is the law of unintended consequences. We will give an account to our Lord and Savior one day for our life. All the things we've done and didn't do, the things we should have done and didn't do, all the things we've said and thought, we're held to a very high standard to live for God. And God knows whether we're connecting with Him in the way that we should. So I want to ask you this morning, if you're a Christian, are you living the way you ought to live? You know, the best thing you and I can do is make peace with God. And that's what Jesus is. Peace with God. And then it isn't just peace with God. We get the peace of God. That guards our heart, our mind, our bodies, our souls. And oh, what a joy there is. When all is right. Between the creator and his created. Heavenly Father, this morning, perhaps someone is listening, says... Today, Jesus, I need to give you my heart. I need to ask you to be my Lord and Savior. In this morning, in this simple prayer, I want to do that. Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I repent of them and ask you to be my Lord and Savior. That simple prayer is a prayer of salvation. Lord, perhaps today there's a Christian that says, I'm not living the way I ought to live for you. I know I've been at war with you. I've been intent on doing it my way. I've not fully bought into your way is the best, God. And it's even best for me. When, even when it calls on hardship or, or, or struggle, your way's still best. Yes, Jesus had to go the way of the cross. But it still was the best way. It was the only way that Jesus could be one with you, Father. The only way we can be one with you is to be surrendered totally, fully to your will. And Lord, this morning we can come to you and just say, Lord, while we're saved, I want to just renew my life. Confess and repent of what's been rebellious. And strengthen my relationship again with you. Receive your forgiveness and the cleansing that you give. Lord, whatever decision may need to be made today, at this time, at this hour, at this moment, let your will be done. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. 
So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.